This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Frida Liu. More than half a century ago, Chinese leader Mao Zedong is believed to have coined the phrase "women hold up half the sky," which was an endorsement of the role of women in society and aimed at liberating women and encouraging them to join the workforce. It was a moving and empowering statement, and if embraced wholeheartedly by both men and women, could have paved the way for gender equality in every area of life. The reality, however, is that women are still fighting the battle for equal treatment, equal wages, and places at the top. Earlier this month, the world celebrated International Women's Day. With the theme "Women in Leadership: Achieving an Equal Future in a COVID-19 World," the question that begs to be asked is this: Has COVID-19 made any difference in terms of improving opportunities for women to achieve leadership positions? What, in the first place, has prevented more women from achieving leadership positions all this while? And why the push for women to play a bigger role in leadership is it just to justify a need to be competitive, or is there a more profound reason? Here with us today, the last Monday of the month, as usual, is Human Equation founder Sheila Singham to discuss these questions relating to women and leadership positions. You know, um, in your opinion, and I think the stats also reveal that, uh, are there enough women in leadership in Malaysia? And I think I pretty much know the answer. <laughs> uh, well, yes, you and I would probably concur in that definitely there aren't enough women in leadership positions in Malaysia. Hmm. Let's look at the statistics. Since 1969, there have been less than 20 women in cabinet positions. We're talking about ministerial positions, eh? Um, and then a 2017 paper by Mohammad Amin and Mailing Tan on women on board stated that only 13% of Malaysian board positions are filled by women, right. right? And the rate of increase in the proportion of board positions filled by females in a typical Malaysian firm has been as low as 1% point per annum. So if, you know, compare with other countries, Malaysia is kind of in the same boat line. You know, larger firms tend to have proportionately more females than males. Mm -hmm. But, of course, there's a wide variation in terms of industry. Um, and strangely enough, Frida, the proportion of board positions in a firm filled by females is much higher in the finance industry, with the lowest being in the plantation industry, which is uh, seen to be very uh, male-dominated, right? right? And then, in terms of senior management, so moving down okay, the hierarchy, a report released last year by Grant Thornton International states that in Malaysia, women make up only 33% of the senior management of companies, mostly in positions of human resource director, chief financial officer, chief operating officer. So note that they are, these are not chief executive officer, chairman, chairperson mm. positions. All right. So yes. There aren't enough women in leadership in Malaysia. Right. In, in, and what could be the reason for the low number of women in leadership in Malaysia? Well, one of the reasons is that the statistics, the same report showed that only a dismal 17.17% of businesses in Malaysia are setting targets or quotas for gender balance at leadership levels. 17 is dismal. And in terms of actively working on removing barriers to gender parity at senior levels, the report said that only 60% of Malaysian businesses are endeavouring to do so. Mm. This, Frida, is the lowest number in the ASEAN region, lest we pat ourselves on the back and say, wow, 60%. 
almost all other countries in Asia, ASEAN scored about 70%, with Vietnam leading at 100%. So that's the reason we don't have enough women in leadership in Malaysia. It's the will, right. rather the lack of it. Right. So does the proverbial glass ceiling actually exist? And what do you think is the cause for it? We've been hearing about this glass ceiling for many decades now. And many people think, uh, well, you know, it's just a myth. But I don't believe it's just a myth. I think it is an invisible barrier to advancement that women still face at top levels of the workplace still exists in varying levels in different nations and regions across the world. We may like to think that we are a very progressive society here in Malaysia, but uh, apparently not progressive enough. So one of the reasons, uh, there are two reasons I feel, many, but uh, the two main reasons I feel is one of them is the patriarchal framework on which most communities, organizations uh, are are structured. Mm. The other is women themselves and the mindset and belief systems about, you know, balancing work and family commitments that they have either been inculcated with or have willingly embraced. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Now let's let's uh, let's uh, peel uh, the patriarchy story first, right? What is it, and how is it preventing women from breaking through the glass ceiling? So I think to understand what patriarchy is, a lot of people don't understand where it came from, and the fact that it's something that's been around for sort of you know twelve thousand years, I think you know. Mm. So what happened before that is you pretty much in the nomadic existence of uh, the human race. People just travel from place to place, Mm. right? And so women and men, women could choose where they wanted to go. Let's go over here and there's more food and and, and, uh, animals that we can shoot and grain and all that that we can pluck and eat. So they just sort of wandered around. Mm. But then when men, humankind discovered, um, you know, agriculture and farming that they could keep animals, they could tame animals, they could grow their own plants and all that, they became more settled. And then what happened is that um, tribes of them formed to sort of stay in that place and protect their assets. Mm. And of course, men were seen to be stronger because they were the hunters. So physical strength was the thing that determined patriarchal systems. You're a man, you're stronger, you fight to keep your herds. And so you all, men, pull together. And then the women, uh, um, you know, have to follow you and and subscribe to you. And so they set up the rules, they set up the tribes. And slowly, as they set up the rules, the women lost the autonomy to make decisions. Of course, there are some matriarchal societies where women's voices are heard, but they are, you know, few and far between. Mm. So when it's, it's up, tribes are operated by males over a period of centuries and millennia, you guess what happens? Uh? The system right. goes into every layer of society and work and politics and religion and so on. So that's why we all live in very patriarchal societies. Right. And it made sense during the agrarian stage, right? Mm. Uh, things have changed right now where we're not, you know, uh, well, things have evolved and changed. So that is not a, a necessity. And maybe it was, a, you know, probably the right thing to do at that time. Right. Uh, I want to talk a little bit how you, you mentioned earlier that women have also contributed a glass ceiling, but they haven't tried to break through that. Or, you know, isn't that a contradiction? 
Well, uh, yeah, in many ways, it, it, it is a contradiction. There's on one sense, there are so many women who through the ages have, you know, fought for equality. So we've got equality in terms of politics, the right to vote, but not in every country as well, you know. And we are aiming for equality in, in laws and all that, you know, against gender bias, discrimination and all that in terms of wages and position and all that. But a lot of the times I have also found that it is women who themselves have that mental barrier, mm. right? See, it, it must be remembered that we are all a product of the values and belief systems we are inculcated with. Mm. And most of those are associated with patriarchal society. So I'll give you my own personal example, Frida. Mm. Uh, my parents were, you know, they were teachers and they were very sort of focused on the fact that we all needed to have an education and all that sort of thing. Uh, so on one hand, I had a mother who was like n not at all discriminatory gender-wise, but uh, you know we, we were treated equally, brothers and sisters at home all have to do the housework and all that. But on the other hand, I had a father who came from a very patriarchal system. So, uh, you know, he, he dictated certain things and my mother adhered to it because, you know, to have a happy marriage and all that. But my God bless his soul, my father told me when I graduated and I wanted to go into a different, you know, profession. He said, no, 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 you just go and do teaching because that's the best job for a girl. You mm. can come back half a day and then once <laughs> you get married, look after your children. You know, being very young, not knowing any better, I decided, okay, lah, mm. I'll I'll, I'll follow my father. He probably knows best, you know. Mm. But the truth is, um, you know, patriarchal systems like this, and, and you know, you know, I know a lot of fathers. They mean the best, and yeah. they are a product of their own environment. But these systems place the demands for childcare. So you know, when you have patriarchal systems breeding patriarchal um, males, right, with mm. that kind of mindset, they will also place the demands of for childcare on and, and mm. taking care of the household needs and chores and all that more heavily on women than men. You know, how many women do you know who go to work the same hours as their husbands? But when they come back at 5 or 6 o'clock in the evening, they have to go into the kitchen and cook the dinner and see to the kids' homework and all that while the husband sits in front of the TV. Now, I know there are people listening out there who might come and do battle with me and say, I'm not that kind of man. Fair enough if you're not kudos to you, but... It is, it is what it is, and, and I hear many women who say this to me. And, you know, during the pandemic, I was talking to someone on the phone, and a lady, and then, you know, her children needed attention. She said, I got to go. Mm. I said, but, you know, your husband knows you're on a work call, and, mm. he, and you have told him. She said, yes, yes, but when it comes to the children, you know, I have to go and handle it. And I'm like wondering, this there is a patriarchy going on even in this marriage with two, you know, high-flying right. professionals. Right. So many higher-paying jobs, Frida, usually at the higher level, require more commitment. Mm. And they can be sort of inflexible in terms of the demands. Like you have to be in the office. Yeah. You have to be there at certain hours to be seen, to be available and all that. And if women are going to have to take over the housekeeping chores and all that, it's, you know, they, it's going to be very hard for them to climb up the corporate ladder if they need to adhere to that kind of thinking at the workplace. Mm. So, you know, because of childcare, taking care of the home, the household cooking, you know, the extended family, parents, parents-in-law and all that, usually falls on the woman. Mm. So, um, you know, if this is sort of put on women, then they also feel a lot of guilt if they choose to pursue their ambition, their careers, and... Uh, and they're always made to feel that it's going to be at the expense right. of the families, right? right? So yeah. I've coached many women who've sort of turned away from positions of, of, of power and leadership because of this.
But what people need to understand is that it is not how much time you spend with your children that's important, but the quality of the time that you spend. If you are at home or, you know, you've given up your career, you want to stay at home with your children and you're very disgruntled and upset about right. it, that's not going to bode well for the children as well. Right. So this whole thing about lead, women in leadership in the COVID-19 world, I do hope the whole COVID-19 scenario uh, all of us having to work from home and women being allowed to work from home and all that, they can actually finally find a balance between ambition and benefits as companies realize that they can contribute just as well to the workforce while they're staying at home and looking after their families. Right. And so we put ourselves uh, in these boxes uh, ourselves, right? And we'll continue our chat after this. I'm here with uh, Sheila Singer from Human Equation talking about women in leadership positions, seeing that it was IWD this month. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Breaking Financial Matters, BFM 89.9. You're listening to Enterprise. Good morning. This is Frida Liu, uh, Sheila Singer from Human Equation, who joins us the last Monday of the month. Uh, we're talking about women in leadership positions um, and be seeing that it was International Women's Day this month. Now, uh, why is there a need to have more women in leadership positions, though? Is it a, simply a matter of proving that we are equal to the task? <laughs> I mean, you know, really, Frida, I don't feel that we need to prove that we are equal to anybody. We are indeed equal. Now, I would like to call myself a rational feminist, Frida, meaning that whatever I work for or you know, advocate in terms of women's rights and all that, it's done from a ra very rational perspective. We cannot just change things overnight, overnight. So I don't believe that we need to make a lot of noise to have our worth recognized. So no, I do not believe that we need to have more women in leadership position just to get recognition that we are equal because we are equal, right? Let's start from the premise that we are equal. But we have to appreciate and, and celebrate the fact that we bring different capabilities to the table. So more women in leadership positions would offer a rich new perspective to many aspects of nation building and organizational development and culture. Mm. All right. So the most important reason I believe for balancing the ratio of men and women at the top is to give women a voice in decision making and to weaken patriarchy in organizations. Mm. Why is Patriarchy, I feel today, is, is abhorrent. And it's not because of anything that, you know, we have against the male of the species, but it is a cause for many of the ills of society because in many ways, patriarchy endorses oppression and injustice against women. See, like societies that tolerate violence against women. There are some nations of the world that um, only recently they allowed women to drive, but you cannot drive alone. Mm. You have to drive with a male by your side. I, I don't understand that. Mm. Really don't. And then, you know, there are countries which legitimize sexual assault and discrimination, you know, whether they legitimize it or they endorse it through, you know, their, their religious systems or political systems. There's misogyny 
and and they normalize gender stereotyping and workplace discrimination. So these have grown and continue to exist because there are not enough women in leadership positions to object, to make noise about it. Mm. If you look at cultures that have dismantled patriarchy to a large extent, I don't know if there's any that's totally done that. But if you allow women a voice, you will see balance, equality and progressiveness. I mean, despite being very feminine, you can also be very strong and have a strong voice. Mm. So, you know, it, there, there's a saying by it, uh, Professor Marianne Burchan at the sh- uh, Chicago Booth, right? She says, in a world where talent is distributed equally among women and men, an economy that does not fully tap into the leadership skills offered by women is necessarily inefficient. So mm-hmm. if talent is left on the table where women are not placed in leadership positions and the economy suffers, we have so much to offer. Right. Okay, as much as men, I mean, as Mao Zedong said, we, we hold up half the sky. Right. So we need to be treated that way. We are giving the res- given the responsibility to nurture children, nurture people, the next generation, then we should also be given the responsibility to lead them. Right. So why women leaders should be in positions of leadership is that no one understands what women go through better than women leaders. Mm. So if they are in leadership positions, they'll be able to install family-friendly policies such as longer maternity leave, mm. shorter working hours, working from home, and so on. Mm. They will be sympathetic to the health issues facing women. Women who have postpartum woes come back after delivering their child and having postpartum woes. People are going to me- women going to menopause, menstrual symptoms, and so on. Today, what happens in the workplace? Yeah, people saying, ah, she's like that, you know, because it's that time of the month. For me, that is already right. a sexist statement. Right. Right. So, so, so that that you, also begs. I I guess the question, right, of what can organizations and women themselves do to ensure gender parity at leadership levels, Mm. right? Uh, Making sure that these things are looked into. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's a case of both the sexes Mm. need to be sort of given some gender sensitivity training at the workplace to be told explicitly what is acceptable and what is not. Do we see that happening in organizations uh, in Malaysia today, no. no, not many people. You know, women's walking by in a in a very attractive uh, outfit, and people go. You know, you have people saying, "Oh, you know, well, that's too short," and you know, what's she trying to show? Um, these kind of comments should never be allowed in the workplace. Right. Uh, all right. So more of that sort of awareness training for both men and women, mm-hmm. and then of course there needs to be a concerted will and effort to groom more women for leadership positions through coaching and mentoring. Mm. I've sort of embarked on a a session with with an organization who really is keen and sincere about wanting to put more women in leadership. They acknowledge these women are so capable and competent, but, you know, they're not voicing themselves out. And and so going back, during the coaching session, going back, I understand it all goes back to the patriarchal upbringing where at home they were told never to question the father's authority no matter what the father said or did and so on. And so that's carried into their life and into their marriages, their relationships and the workplace. Mm. So I think there needs to be also a space for women's voices to be heard during, for example, during the Obama administration. If a woman came up with the idea and it was sort of clamped down and then later that idea was taken and used by a man and they would the man would be called out for it Mm. so sometimes if at a meeting a woman wants to say something and people just shush her up the women in the meeting would then would empower her by saying no 
Let her have her say. So these are the kinds of things that we need to do. But, you know, the sad thing, Fida, I found sometimes is that in some organizations, in many cases, women don't know whether they feel threatened when other women are allowed or speak up or wherever, and then they sort of try and keep them down. Maybe they say they don't want them to go there and suffer and, you, mm. know, you know, be put down. But, you know, every woman should be encouraged to have a voice. Right. And also, you know, Today we have whistleblower. We have a whistleblower policy, but the question is, how independent is whistleblowing going to be? Who's going to go there and blow the whistle when you are going to do it within the organisation to an agency within the organisation, which is then maybe normally it's like HR, which is then going to evaluate and you know if there's men in HR and if they don't see things as being serious, then. Who's going to take it seriously? So mm. I believe today, and I strongly advocate, the government sets up a strong, independent, external whistleblowing agency to allow all all complaints, right. all employee complaints, not just you know gender discrimination, sexual harassment, and all that, so that there will be women and everybody will be given a fair hearing. So right. of course. Um, I would love to empower, advocate flexible working structures. We have proved in the one last year that women can work from home and work extremely efficiently and still have their, you know, family life and so on. So right. why not allow them to do that now, you know? Right. And, and, and men and women so that, uh, you know, the, the responsibility then of raising the children can be equally spread out uh, and not just to the women. Uh, thanks for spending time with us uh, this morning. Sheila Singer from Human Equation. You've been listening to Enterprise. I'm Frida Liu, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.